This is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. We welcome you to the podcast. We're in a series entitled Hope for Hard Times. This is episode 14 of that series, and the title of the episode today for Sunday, October 8th, 2023, is Armed with the Mind of Christ. Do you want hours of endless free entertainment? Well, of course you do. Well, go to YouTube and search for police and driver videos. Totally fascinating. Here's the common script that you'll see if you view just a few of these. It starts out, with a police professional procedure in response to some crazy driving or something that got their attention with that driver in that car. There's usually politeness, and it's regarding the driver behavior. Then, boom, about 20 minutes later, it ends with hysterical screaming females who appear demonized And they're on their way to one year in the slammer. It is amazing if you watch a few of these. Now, in 99.99999% of cases, they brought it on themselves. They deserve the suffering they ended up with. It seems like just having a reasonable attitude at the very start would have changed uh, to a great degree what happens in the video. Well, We've already seen in 1 Peter the deserved suffering of people who do things that are wrong, and Christians are never to be involved in that in terms of, uh, uh, you know, we're not to be troublemakers is what we're not to be. And then we have also seen the theme of the undeserved suffering of Christ. That's amazing, isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ is God himself, He is absolutely holy and perfect, and yet he underwent undeserved suffering himself. Now, not for anything he had done wrong or not done. He endured that undeserved suffering on our behalf for what we have done wrong and not done. That was his undeserved suffering. So we've seen the undeserved suffering of Christ, But we're also starting to see at this point in the letter of 1 Peter, the undeserved suffering of Christians. Now, this is undeserved as opposed to if a Christian were to do something wrong and they get in trouble. Well, Peter has already established, well, well, then you would deserve that because you, you intentionally did something that was wrong. But did you know that Christians can go through undeserved suffering just like Christ did? And we must have the same attitude of Christ. We must be armed with the mind of Christ. Now, right about now, some of you who have inquiring minds are saying, why? Why do we have to suffer? Why do we have to be armed with the mind of Christ? Can't we just get along? Well, number one, it's commanded. What's commanded, Pastor Ed? That we be armed with the mind of Christ. And we're going to see that today. 
And number two is predicted. What's predicted, Pastor Ed? Well, as I've already said, suffering, my man, suffering, my good lady. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ and with the power of his Holy Spirit, you, you read the word and you try to walk through this world and do what you know is biblically right, I promise you, you are going to suffer. You are going to run into some persecution to a, a small or large degree, but we know that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Even the Lord Jesus Christ told us that we will suffer tribulation. Now, that's not the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, but he, but he was saying that in going through this world with him living in us, we're going to get the same pushback against us that he got in, in his holiness. He didn't deserve it, and we won't deserve it either, but it's going to happen. It's just how it is. And in order to deal with that successfully, we must be armed with the mind of Christ. That's why we've entitled this episode, Armed with the Mind of Christ. Now, you remember that 70s movie about the big shark? The police chief finally sees the 20-foot shark, and he says, what? Remember what he says? Come on, you know, you're going to need a bigger boat, right? The suffering that we could go through is probably much more intense and much larger than we could even imagine today. Now, it's, it's sort of like what I just said. Here's where we are in the flow of the New Testament and the unfolding of the prophetic future. If the, well, before I say this, let me, let me say one thing about current events so you kind of get a, a feel for where we may be already. Many people who study the Bible believe that Psalm 83 is a prediction of a war that Israel will go through in the prophetic future. Uh, not part of the tribulation yet, but part of their future. Some people believe with the events that have occurred on the weekend of uh, Friday night, October, what was that, 6th, and Saturday, October 7th, when Hamas attacked Israel, possibly this is the Psalm 83 war. Now, we will have to see how everything shakes out, but it could be. Now, you might be saying right now, well, so what? Well, the so what is we better wake up, people, because if it's a Psalm 83 war, we are closer than you could ever imagine to the rapture of the church, the tribulation, and seven years of tribulation. At the end of that, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that when Hamas attacked Israel this past weekend, as I record this, that over 5,000 rockets were launched against Israel in that attack? Hey, do you know who paid for those? Probably America paid for a lot of them. Pastor Ed, how can you say that? It's easy. During the Obama administration, and once again, just a few months ago, in the Biden administration, listen to me carefully. This is, this is a fact. Billions with a B 
Billions of dollars were transferred to Iran under both administrations. Say, well, what's so bad about that? What could possibly go wrong with that? Hey, man, listen, Iran has been branded by our Department of Justice and our intelligence community as being the largest state sponsor of terrorism in the world. I didn't say that. I'm just quoting what the experts say. Hamas attacked 50 military outposts, neutralized them. They breached the fence perimeter of Israel, and they were able to drive vehicles in, and uh, over 1,000 Hamas fighters went into Israel. Now, you know what's different about this than all the other many wars that modern Israel has been through since the day it was founded in uh, May of 19, what is that, 1947? Uh, Sometimes I I forget the date, but I believe that's right. Anyway, once they were founded, they were immediately attacked, and it's kind of never stopped. There's a war quite often against Israel. You know what's different? The Israeli Defense Forces, their army were always there to meet those attacking Israel, but they were completely blinded and caught off guard. And uh, I'm not even going to go into how the Iron Dome couldn't have worked when it should have worked, but it didn't. That is something you ought to think about. How? Hmm, wonder how that couldn't work. And anyway, the point is, They've abducted, that we know of, over 100 Israeli citizens, women, children, old people, you get the idea, and paraded them through uh, Gaza City and Palestine. And basically, that's where we are. And Iran, I promise you, Iran is behind this. They love Hamas and all the other brands of terrorist groups Hezbollah, um, what's the other one in uh, Afghanistan? You know who I'm talking about. Uh, Taliban, yeah. Everybody's getting in on the act. They're all ready to go. But it could be the Psalm 83 war, or it may just be another in a series of wars leading to the end. Now, if the rapture of the church, which I believe in completely, you know why? It's in the Bible. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. It's there, all right? If the rapture of the church, which is prior to the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, I believe that completely. It's easy to understand that from the Bible. I've been studying this uh, heading toward 50 years, well over 40 years. If the rapture of the church, which is prior to the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, doesn't happen in the next few months or years, and you and I don't die anyway, then the Great Reset with its ESG plan, uh, equity, sustainability, and governance, meaning how well you respond to being governed, that's what that's about. Uh, The surveillance camera system that's now being established all over the world, the central bank digital currencies, which are going to become a reality soon. There's already been one bank in Australia which has just simply dumped cash. They're done with it. They're all digital. I mean, I'm telling you, hundreds are going to follow in their, their example. 
uh, which will lead us into a cashless, digitally controlled economy where everything you do financially, you will basically have to be in the good graces of the government. If you're not, uh, your money can be turned off. And every single thing you buy will be known. <laughs> Get it? It's about control. It's not about anything else. Well, all of these things, even if you don't believe in the Bible, this kind of world that the Great Reset people, the World Economic Forum, are, are happily pushing the world into is going to bring suffering to your doorstep, whether you want it or not. Picture a world with no normal anymore, no freedom like we've known it, no place to really hide where everything you've ever done or said or liked or disliked or anything online is amassed together. Say, so, well, how could they do that? Man, how are you asleep? I, I'm gonna, not going into great detail here, but there are servers that are simply collecting all the data possible in the world of everybody in the world. And I'm just going to leave it at that. I can tell you a whole lot more, but we don't have time. Anyway, the point of that is, if you don't go along, you can be branded a domestic terrorist or an enemy of the state. And once you carry that legal designation, then it's fair to do anything the authorities want to do to you to deal with you or dispense with you. Think about all that I just said. Pastor Ed, you're bumming me out. I just tuned in so I could feel happy and encouraged again in this world. Well, you picked the wrong podcast, sister. <laughs> anyway, all of this kind of thing is looming ahead of the world. And if the rapture doesn't happen sooner rather than later, we almost certainly will go through some of this and end up on the wrong end and suffer. Right now, if world-famous personalities and world-famous political leaders and world-famous professionals can be debanked, banned from social media platforms, and, this is shocking, have their assets seized by governments? Hey, what chance do you and I have, right? Average citizens. And as I mentioned last week, this is always true when there's violent regime change. I promise you, those who hate you because you are a Christian, or maybe you're not even a Christian, you're just a a conservative, you believe in freedom. That's a problem to people who want absolute control. You, you are in their way. I promise you that people like you are on paper list and digital list. You, you are known of, and even if you are not known by name yet, the, the way you believe and live will get you on a list. So, that's what we're facing in this world. Now, if I die tomorrow, what do, what do I care personally, right? 
or if the rapture is next Tuesday at one o'clock, I didn't say it is. I'm just saying if it was, then I'm out of here, right? But what if I go through things like this, which are, are speeding like a runaway freight train toward us, then there's going to be some measure of suffering. And by the way, an editorial comment from me. If you're thinking right now, I don't even know what you're talking about, then shame on you. We live, everything I just mentioned, although I can't go into detail about all of it, I could, I could spend hours explaining these things and many more. But everything I just explained is true and it's real. We live on the verge of the most awful time in human history. And you're asleep at the wheel and believe everything that the woke media wants you to think. Shame on you. Now, don't give up on yourself because you can repent. <laughs> you can learn and you can begin to understand. And we might we won't really be able to stop all of this, but we can be prepared to live for Christ and if necessary, to suffer for Christ, to bring glory to him. Now, unless some of you may be worrying about me, I'm okay and I'm gonna be okay. And here's why. And we'll see this in 1 Peter 3 today. The resurrected, Jesus Christ, who loves me and died to pay the sin debt that I owed, who reigned over the world's first global catastrophe, the flood, and will reign over its second. He is alive and in charge, and he is able to help me. So I'm not about to jump off the Empire State Building, metaphorically speaking. I'm just realizing, though, where we are. And if some really good things don't happen really soon, some really bad things are going to happen, and we're going to be around when some of them happen. So, and, and as I've mentioned in recent episodes, there are Christians in the body of Christ all over the world right now who are paying a fearsome price for their loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's already happening and has been happening. And we may begin to share in that in a very direct way in the Western world. All right, 1 Peter 3, verses 18 to 22 and then we're going to read right through to 1 Peter 4, verses 1 and 2, because these form kind of one thought, and we don't want to just break it up as the chapters are divided. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So let's break this verse out. We're talking about Jesus Christ. He hath once suffered for sins, meaning 
He did this one time on the cross, never to be repeated. That's what this means in the Greek grammar. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. And of course, he is completely just, and he suffered for sins, not his, ours. So the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That is a picture of of escorting us into a personal, close relationship with God the Father. And this was a major heresy, by the way, what I'm about to say in the early church, and it still pops up from time to time, being put to death in the flesh. Heretics 2,000 years ago tried to say that Jesus Christ wasn't really in bodily form. He only appeared to be, and, and this is not what the New Testament teaches. He was given a body like our body. When those nails were driven through his wrist, it hurt. When people spit on him, he felt it. When the crown of thorns was pressed into his scalp, it bled. It was real suffering, but quickened by the Spirit. So he was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right here, by the way, in this one verse, you see the Trinity. Jesus Christ, the Son, God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, who is God, right there. So for all you Trinitarian deniers, just open your eyes. It's all over the New Testament. There's another place. Verse 19, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. And notice here, he's not talking about that when we go through water baptism, that the act of baptism save us. How do you know that? Because he says, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. That is, we're born again by faith in Christ and the, the water baptism portrays what has happened. So let me read that without breaking into it. The, the like figure into even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, 
but to the will of God. All right, so what have we seen here in reading from 1 Peter 3, 18 through 1 Peter 4, verse 2? We've seen that the Lord Jesus Christ, one time for all time, suffered for sins, not his own, our sins. He had no sin. He suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, that is, escort us into a very close relationship with God the Father. And we see that he was put to death in the flesh. It was He had a real body. It was real, actual, physical suffering, not to mention the spiritual suffering of, of becoming sin for us, our sin, that we might be forgiven, and that he was quickened by the Spirit. And then verse 19 says, by which also, you know, by the Holy Spirit, by which also he went and preached under the spirits in prison. Now, what is this talking about? This has been a perplexing little passage right here. I think the simplest way that expositors and exegetes, you know, Bible students, have been able to break this out is this way, that the Lord Jesus Christ was preaching through Noah while Noah was busy preparing the ark. And you might say, well, how long did that take? 19 weeks? Four years? I think I'm correct in saying, and some of you who are good at this can search this out, but I believe we know from Bible chronology given to us in the Old Testament that Noah was about 120 years in building the ark. That is, a, that is way more than one generation, right? Because people nearer the creation lived longer. You see that in uh, Genesis uh, t- how long they live. You see that in the book of Genesis. But over time, man began to live shorter and shorter and shorter lives. But Noah was 120 years in building the ark. I believe I'm correct on that. So it wasn't just three months or 14 years or two decades. It was a long, long, long time. And you know what else we're going to see in Second Peter? Peter calls Noah in 2 Peter a preacher of righteousness. So picture this. While Noah is busy collecting everything needed to build this massive battleship-sized floating vessel, that's how big it was, by the way. It was huge. While he was busy doing that, he didn't waste any time, uh, in other words, he, he wasted no time in getting to preaching to those that watched him do it about their wickedness, their need to repent and to trust God, and they could be saved too in the ark. Of course, people would grade Noah and his homiletical preaching abilities today as an absolute failure because not one of them repented. He had no decisions other than the, obviously his wife and and the other six that went with him in the ark, his family, his sons and their wives. That's it. 
No one else listened to Noah. And yet they were offered the grace of God and it was right in front of them. It was like Jesus right in front of them because the ark portrays the Lord Jesus Christ. And Noah, I don't know how much he knew, but I, I believe that to some degree he preached Christ unto them the Messiah, the seed of the woman that was promised that would come and save everyone. But you know what they did? They completely, violently rejected God's offer of grace and did not repent. That's astounding. So we see, how do I know that? Well, verse 20, we see this which sometime were disobedient. So the spirits in prison are the, the spirits of these people who perished in the flood. And the Lord Jesus Christ, after his crucifixion, before his resurrection, I, I think I'm right on that, went to these lost people who rejected their offer of salvation and basically authenticated Noah and told him you should have repented. It was too late. Now, verse 20 defines who the spirits in prison are because verse 20 tells us, which sometime were disobedient. That's the people who back in Noah's day, they were dead now, you know, bodily, but they were still alive in hell awaiting final judgment, and Christ went there to say Noah was right. You should have repented. Which sometime were disobedient. What does that mean? Well, back in Noah's day, when they were alive on the earth before the flood came, and they all perished, they were, they were intently disobedient. No doubt they mocked Noah, they turned their back on him, they called him crazy Noah, they said there is no God. What's rain? Nobody had ever seen rain. What, what is this judgment you're talking about? And they absolutely rejected the word of God through Noah. And this was the time of long suffering of God. God waited in the days of Noah, verse 20 says. God gave that generation that was on the verge of absolute destruction a hundred and 20 years of Christ, who had not come yet, but he was prophesied. Remember in Genesis 3, God prophesied that he would come. All they had to do is believe that he would come by faith and be saved like Noah and his family, but they refused it. Some of you are in that same danger this very moment. If you're not, you have family members and friends and people on your sports teams and where you work who are standing on the edge of disaster. And when you try to tell them they reject it, don't stop telling them. Noah didn't stop. Noah gave it all he had. It was up to God what would happen after he did his job, right? So, while the ark was preparing, Noah's preaching while he prepares it. And it says, wherein few, that is eight souls were saved 
by water. That is the water uh, which the, upon which the ark was born was it was the method of judgment on the rejectors of Christ, but it was the the agency through which the ark floated and saved Noah. That's amazing. Think about that picture. By the way, Peter presents this event, the global flood, as a real event in space-time history. That is, it was real, the only way we ever think of something being real. Wyatt Earp, yep, he really existed. How do we know that? Because people died because he killed them. (laughs) Real reality, okay? The flood was a real event. And Peter, who was a disciple and he was an apostle, Uh, after the Lord ascended, Peter had heard the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry as he preached and taught the word of God refer factually to the fly. And he said it would be in the same way, the world would be the same way right before he returns as it was before the flood came. Primarily the wickedness, but also the overall general rejection of the truth of God until judgment fell. Those are the days in which we live. We live in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Noah. We don't live literally in his days, but our days are the same way it was in Noah's day. If you can't see that, there's no hope for you. (laughs) Look around, wake up. Now, here's the beauty of this. So he says in verse 21, the light figure, so this is giving us a picture, right? The light figure, we're into even baptism, that also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, the one who should be in charge of the world completely would be the one, the only one, who's ever conquered death, the Lord Jesus Christ. He died and resurrected never, ever to die again. Say, well, what about the people the Lord Jesus Christ raised from death in his earthly ministry, like Lazarus? Lazarus died again at some point. The Lord Jesus Christ will never die again. He's completely in charge. Absolutely unique in world history. More than that, or in addition to that, who has gone into heaven. So he is now representing man in heaven. Sinful man does not belong in heaven, but there is now a perfect God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, He has gone into heaven. Guess where he sits? On the right hand of God. This is God the Father. He sits at the place of favor and blessing and power. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Do you know what that tells me? He is God. He's not an angel. He's not a man. 
He is God. Jesus Christ is God. He is in charge. And then we read in 1 Peter 4, verses 1 and 2, where Peter ties all of this together because going to talk from this point on in 1 Peter uh, 4 and 5, he's going to talk more in 1 Peter is what I'm trying to say about suffering for Christ. So we read here where he brings it together in chapter 4, verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Now, what does that mean? That we will suffer to one degree or another in the flesh, that is in our human life in some way. It may be small for some of you. It may be large for some of you. But all of us will suffer. And we need to have the same mind. We need to arm. That word means to equip, like a soldier would equip himself with his weapons for battle. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Our mindset how we evaluate and look at things should be lined up with the same mind that the Lord Jesus Christ had. We cannot say, but I don't deserve to suffer for Christ. Hey, you don't deserve to breathe one more breath. Neither do I. So let's get over ourselves first. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Do you realize what this is saying? Actually, suffering could be very good for us in our spiritual life. Because if you start suffering in this life, especially literally bodily, began to suffer and be persecuted by those who hate Jesus, hate his word, hate the church, hate you because you love him, you're going to have a lot of cleansing occur in your life. It could be that some of you who struggle with some things that you wish you could leave behind, if you start going through some suffering, could even be legal suffering from the system, from the man. You know, if you start going through something that government is wearing you out, it's amazing how focused you can become. And that will really be Jesus Christ gaining the leadership and the control by his spirit in your life as you've always needed to be done. Now, why does this happen? that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. That is, all of a sudden, you're not really worried anymore about having the best-looking house in the neighborhood, the biggest car, the best office at work, being number one, or having your college sports team always be number one, or anything else, the having riches or the finest clothes or being popular on social media. 
Man, I tell you what, if you're listening to this and that's your goal, man, whoo, <laughs> that's sad. Anyway, a suffering can actually work to our spiritual benefit. Now, should we go out and seek it? No, we shouldn't. We should not choose a place of our own martyrdom. But it'll come to you when it's time, if it needs to, and you don't have to go looking for it. All you have to do is live for Jesus. And all of a sudden, <coughs> living by the way most people think about, you know, life, you know, as I, I, just, I, I just look at the world the way it is today, I just think, men are most people in for the biggest shock they could possibly imagine. They're climbing that ladder as fast as they can. And one day, either at death or the return of Christ, they're going to reach the top of that ladder and find out they've had the ladder leaned against the wrong wall their whole life. Better to be too late. Listen, suffering makes us sober. Now, by that, I mean it makes us serious. It could even be that some of you who struggle with drug addictions and alcohol and other addictions, it could be that if you began to suffer, it could help you get past those real fast because all of a sudden you get your life and your, your, your thinking and, and your will and everything all lined up with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, listen, you've done well. You've listened all the way to the end. We are at the end. I want to invite you to do something. If you have doubts about whether or not you're even a Christian, or maybe you know you're not, and you know you need to become one, but you need, you need help, I want to make it possible for you to speak with a Christian counselor. That is just someone who knows the Lord and who can talk with you about your spiritual condition or your need for Christ. I want you to call this number, 888-388-2683. 888-388-2683. One more time, 888-388-2683. Call that Christian ministry and someone can answer your questions. I hope you'll like this episode. Follow the podcast and also share it right now with someone who needs to hear this message in particular. If I don't die first and the rapture doesn't happen first, I'll be back next week with episode 15 of Hope for Hard Times. Bye-bye.